Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Cold Char Podcast. This one was a good one. And before I give a bit of an introduction regarding my guest and the conversation that we had, I want to remind you guys, if you haven't left a rating and a review on iTunes, please do that. I mean, come on. I just chatted with someone who has sailed across the Atlantic and back And she did a great job kind of sharing her unique perspective, the emotions that her and her fiance and now husband at the time were feeling. She really painted what the physical, you know, landscape was like. And I felt like I was kind of on the boat with her during this conversation. And so because of the quality guests and and the things that they're able to share, a positive rating interview has a big impact and it kind of shows our legitimacy. So I would encourage you guys to do that. If this content is something that you're enjoying is something that you're listening to consistently, then please, you know, let that be reflected through a rating interview. Uh, also don't forget to check out what we have going on at the links that I include in the show notes. So I always uh, try to link to the projects that my guests have going on. So I link to what Jesse has in terms of her photography, and then also the blog and the continuing information that she shared regarding her adventures uh, as a sailor. And then also the links that, that I have. So that's coldshowerpodcast.com as well as the numerous Instagram profiles that I have. So don't forget to check that stuff out and use those as a way to connect with us. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say. So without further ado, I want to introduce Jessie Zevelkink. She is truly a high energy, very insightful and unique individual. And man, what a story that she was able to share. I was just kind of like mesmerized the entire time that I was hearing her speak because it's just a world that I have not experienced. And so I love to be able to kind of live through my guests and the way that they can lead me on the adventure that they that they have participated in. And I'm also really curious to see what her and her husband do next, because I feel like this is not the only thing that they will look back on and say that they've done. I think they're going to continue to push the envelope. Now, Jesse, that is not uh, me saying that you need to. I certainly think you've done more than enough, but I just have a feeling that they're going to get a little itchy and we're going to see, continue to see some really cool things from them. Uh, Enough about that. Enjoy the episode. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cold Shower Podcast. My guest today is Jesse Zevelkink. Did I say that correctly? You said that nice. perfectly. Yeah, my you friend. Google uh, that, Taylor. No, Nick Loud uh, <laughs> oh, okay. said it because I just call you Jesse Brave, and we'll get into Perfect. probably why why we may call you that. Um, Thanks, Nick. But Jesse is a adventurer, a writer, and I, she does vlogs. I don't know if she would admit that. Um, <laughs> adventure sailor all of these things uh overall just a baller um and has a really great story to share and so if you want to introduce yourself in your own words now's the time sure hey guys my name is jesse zevelkink or jesse brave as some people know me on the social internet world which we'll get into that nickname later i did not nickname myself that okay for the record yeah there's some humility (laughs) then um you nailed it i mean thank thank you for bringing me in super happy to be here um yes consider myself a little bit of an adventurer and i i do my adventures by 
photography and writing when I'm not adventuring. That kind of fuels my adventure and my adventure fuels my creativity for photography and writing. Um, so two different worlds, but they really go hand in hand. And uh, I'm sure we're going to kind of dig into this last trip that I took, which is why I think I'm here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's definitely a big part of it. Um, so I guess let's get right into it. The, what makes your story unique is that you've done some pretty serious sailing. Is yeah. that the term sailing? It is. Or is it, okay. Yachting, right. boating. Okay. Yeah, sailing. Yeah. Okay. We'll stick with yeah. that. Um, at a level that I think very few people on the planet have probably done it. And I want to talk about it. But first, let's just see where did it start? Like, how did you get involved in sailing? Is it something your family did or? Yeah. Yeah. It really goes back to when I was a kid um, without dragging this out too long. Um, the boat that we recently took this big adventure on was my father's boat, is my father's boat. And it is the boat I grew up sailing on as a kid. Okay. Um, we would take family sailing trips up to Canada. We'd go Mackinac Island and North Channel and Georgian Bay. And um, it would be my sister and I and my mom and my dad. And I was purely a passenger, though. I was not a sailor kid at all. Mm -hmm. Didn't really care about uh, how you actually sailed a boat, but I loved being on it. I loved being on the water. Was totally up for the adventure, and um, it was it was a great way to to spend some family time. Now, as we became teenagers, I I began to dread these trips, you know, because there comes a time in life where the last thing you want to do is be in a small space with your family. Mm -hmm. um, so then there was many years where we did not do those sailing trips, and it wasn't until my early twenties did all of those childhood years. Um, begin to affect me. And I started to really think about what life on the water might be like and um, get more and more interested in sailing, even though I really didn't have any experience aside from sitting on a boat as a kid and being told, you know, like when to get out of the way and when to pull this and that kind okay. of thing. Um, so <clears throat> that leads into being 23. Oh God, I could go into so many stories, Taylor. I go, don't even go. know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll sum it up and then I'll backtrack because you might cool. have some questions based, yeah. of, based off of how I sum it up. When I was 23, ended up buying a sailboat with my best friend named Katie. Um, it was a Cal 27, um, which is just a small 27-foot basic cruising sailboat. We bought it for 3500 bucks in Chicago. And we moved back to Michigan. We had been living in California for many years. And we fixed that boat up and decided to take a trip called America's Great Loop. And we knew about this trip because it was a trip that my dad also took um, in the early 70s, right out of high school. Um, aside from him telling these kind of tall tales as we were kids, I had never, never heard of this before. Um, but we got hooked on the idea, bought a boat, and spent two years cruising down the middle middle of America through the rivers. So from Lake Michigan, we did Chicago, Illinois River, Mississippi River, Ohio River, Tennessee River. There's a whole series of rivers that dumps you out in the Gulf of Mexico. Okay. We came out in Mobile, Alabama, and, um, and the, that took us two months to get down the rivers. You could not sail down the rivers. We actually had to ship all of our mast and rigging so the beginning of our quote unquote sailing experience was actually dieseling down a massive river 
Oh, okay. And um, learning learning mechanics before we learned sailing and electricity and plumbing and all the basic stuff you need to know to live full time on a boat. And then the sailing came later um, when we got to the Gulf of Mexico, and it was kind of trial by fire a little bit. Uh, we had just enough confidence to leave, um, but we were we were pretty conservative and totally nervous, totally terrified, terrified, but we still did it. Yeah, you know? I'm terrified thinking about it. <laughs> And um, so, yeah, this turned into a two-year journey because we only left with, you know, a couple grand in our pocket and knew we were going to have to stop and work. So we worked in restaurants in Florida, took off again, sailed through the Bahamas, came back, worked again, bartended, waitressed, lived on the boat the whole time. And then um, uh, from Florida Keys, we went up what's called the Intracoastal Waterway, which is a protected waterway all the way from Florida Keys to New York City. Um, and so we took, gosh, five months, five months and motor sailed our way up this intracoastal waterway, stopping every night, anchoring. We'd go about 30 miles a day. Um, and then from New York city, you can take the Hudson river or Erie canal and back to the great lakes. So two years later, we come back broke back at home. Um, you know, 25 years old, rather confused yeah. <laughs> about what we were doing and but with a, an incredible epic experience under our belt and that turned into um working for a sailing magazine mm-hmm. writing some articles which turned into working at some boat shows and giving presentations about this trip making people aware about this trip because our generation certainly was not aware about this trip um and it's just uh, evolved from there. One thing has turned into another. I ultimately met my now husband at a boat show. Um, when we got engaged, we decided to then plan a transatlantic ocean crossing before we got married. And so that's how that all tumbleweeded. Dude. Yeah. That's that's crazy. There's a couple things I want to flip back to. Yeah, please. And I think it's funny how... Um, you talked about as a teenager, you started to not appreciate the time in small spaces quite as much. Yeah. And then here you are later in your twenties, like seeking opportunities (laughs) to be in small spaces with other people. That's pretty crazy. It is. It all comes first full circle. Yeah. Everything I've done in life has come full circle Mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form. Yeah. It's weird how we can all of a sudden gain an appreciation for things that we kind of loathed at one point. Yeah. That's cool. Um, what was it about the fact that like, did, did the fact that your dad took this trip himself play any role in you deciding to like, were you like, Oh, he did it so I can, or was it something you think you would have done even if he hadn't? Sure. Um, it was, it was, um, a few different things that was the ultimate deciding factor to take that trip. He was absolutely the inspiration behind the trip and in a way gave me permission to spend my life that way. Um, not that, as a young 20-year-old, you need permission really from your parents anymore, but it was kind of like an unspoken, I will enable you um, and support you emotionally and mm-hmm. mentally, not financially, but I will support you if this is how you choose to spend, you know, your however many years you take to do this. And so a simple um, permission in that way um, sure makes you feel a lot better as like a young confused don't know what to do next 
a parental a parental permission you oh, know yeah it's important yeah it's it's fantastic to have that support and um for the record my mother was eventually on board she was a little slower to warm up to the whole idea mm-hmm. um but she she did she did That's and cool. um so it was a combination of that and this is a whole separate story but in at the time i was in aviation school out in California. <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. land, sea, and air. Uh, went from art school to aviation school. And um, at 21, I had con- completed a series of helicopter licenses. Wow. And my adrenaline-fueled flying experience, um, which in which I had full intentions to make my career, um, it got scarier and scarier and scarier as I learned more and more and mm-hmm. more. Um, and the more experience I got, the more scared I was. And um, of, that like it, crashing or just yeah, being in the air. A, a combination of the machine itself mm-hmm. um, and the world I was entering as a 21 year old female. Okay. Just in general, I was not confident enough at that point in my life to move forward. Mm-hmm that fast in that career. Okay. Now, if you ask me as a 30 year old, um, could I handle that? Yeah, I could. Right. But at the time it was too soon and it was too quick and it was all happening. And, um, the school was complete and I was working on my instructing license and I started to just get an anxiety when I was driving to the airport. Mm -hmm. You know, all of a sudden I have to teach. I have no experience flying barely. I'm talking like just over 200 hours. And, um, all of a sudden you're starting to teach people that have no experience. Mm -hmm. And that's where I had this like massive confidence shift. And I basically gave up and I think about it all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if regret is the right word, but I feel guilty about it. You know, it's like the one thing that I worked really, really hard for and I just walked away. But, 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 um, during that time, as I was questioning entering that career, I spent all my time looking for jobs on boats. I had worked very briefly on a catamaran in Santa Barbara, pouring drinks, raising mainsails, minimum wage. I had a blast. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, if I didn't want to be spending my life in the sky, where does it, where would I like it to be on the sea? So I'm looking for jobs on like Yacht, yacht Finder, Crew Finder, you know, all those silly websites where there's opportunities really all over the world to get on boats and whether it's paid experience or, or not, um, all sorts of opportunities came up and that was kind of the preceding um, factor that led up to the conversation with my father that was simply said, you should just buy a boat and take your own boat trip. Mm-hmm. Check. Done. Dude. And we left a year, year after that. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So it was kind of <laughs> a long history of events in a way, but one thing just led to another. And so it was the flying though, even though I, I still struggle with the fact that I walked away from all that, I would have never had the confidence to take off on a boat with no sailing experience if it weren't for the aviation. Mm. And even though I wasn't confident in the aviation world as a young woman, it gave me the confidence to swim, basically. And I say that literally. Like, this is how I played out in my mind. This is so silly. But in my mind, I'm thinking, like, if something goes wrong in a helicopter and I don't react appropriately or quickly enough, like, that's me, splat on the ground. If something goes wrong on a boat, whether it be in the middle of the sea or close to shore, wherever it be, I'm like, I'll end up in the water. And 
I'm a pretty good swimmer. Yeah. I'll be all right. There's like a bit of a backup <laughs> plan. Yeah. Now, yeah. now that's silly for me to say. Like, of course, there's not always help and there might not always right. be help. But that is how I justified it in my mind. I said, I'm a good, I can swim. Mm-hmm. I can swim for a long time. Yeah. I'm going to be okay. If I end up without a boat, I think I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, if I end up without a helicopter, I will not be here. So that yeah. was my, my silly way of, of being able to move forward with, mm-hmm. I'm going to take off on a boat. Yeah. With, you know. No experience, really. Yeah, it sounds like you were, I, I don't know, you said you had anxiety or maybe lacked confidence in the one yeah. in the one sense with the aviation, but it almost was like you had this level of confidence, whether it was, um, should have been that high or not. Totally, yeah. Where you're yeah. like, you know what, I can depend on myself. Yeah. Because I think that all the time. Every time I get in an airplane, I'm like... <laughs> I hope whoever built this knew what they were doing. Like, I know the chances Does of like crashing. Still scare yeah. You? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. I really hope they knew what they were doing because you're totally dependent on mechanics. I mean, yeah, the mechanics <laughs> yeah. and whoever. Whereas put this on a sailboat, you are your own mechanic. So yeah. um, that doesn't necessarily make anything better, but there's no one to blame. And right. I liked that there was no one to blame. Mm-hmm. I can handle being mad at myself or blaming myself, you know. But it's it's way easier in every other aspect of our life to point fingers and, and blame someone for something and you just can't that doesn't exist mm-hmm. on a boat. Like that's your own that's your own fault, dude. You know? Yeah. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. No, I I like that too, and I think that that applies to a lot of aspects of people's lives where you can't just hire out for everything. Like yeah. you're not gonna, you know, sink your sailboat and be able to write a bad review. Like no. <laughs> you're no. it's on you. Only on yourself. Or, yeah. And yeah. That, I think that, that sometimes that is refreshing. It's scary. But it's literally like sink or swim. Like you're doing this. You decided to do this. So let's figure yeah, it out. Absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah, it's interesting. So so that whole um, kind of swap from flying to sailing, it, it I was stripped of my confidence and had was built of confidence yeah. all at once, but in different contexts, if right. that makes any sense at all. No, it does. I definitely yeah. think that it does. So you were 23 when you started the, what's it called? The Great Loop? Really? Yeah. America's okay. Great Loop. Man. Google it. There you go. No, I'm, I'm absolutely yeah, you should totally going Google to. It. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. It's a really cool trip, actually. I, I would, I mean, I'll be talking about it till I die. Yeah. And um, it was the most unique and special way to see America, hands down. Oh, for sure. And I would yeah. think that that's like at least portions of that path people have been doing for thousands of years. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. you're like, you kind of joined that, Yeah. I don't know, fraternity or whatever it was. Yes. It sorority. was very um, um, Tom Sawyer, you know. That's crazy. It pretty, yeah. It was pretty cool. So what is like, what is the day to day of that trip specifically look like? I imagine that there's a lot of monotony, but at the same time, mind you, I know nothing about sailing. And yeah, I should also okay. say that I've always had this fascination with boating i have a couple of weird fascinations boating one is, is one. with boating because yeah. i didn't do a ton of it as a kid and the fact that people can like sleep on a boat mm-hmm. i've never slept on one really, really? oh we can change that there's okay. a few boats up in northport cool. you can come camp on yes i want yeah. to and so i've always been like that is just so weird to me that people can sleep <laughs> like above the water and then another one is when people have those beds in the back of their semis, like, oh, yeah, you know, behind yeah, their those seats. Are cool. yeah. That's another one. Yeah, I've never slept in one of those. Yeah. You should interview one of those drivers. I would love to. Yeah. 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 So there's that's, like that's those two things where, man, I w- it would really be cool to sleep in a semi 
and it would re- be really cool to uh, sleep on a sailboat. It actually would be cool. Since I spend so much time sleeping on sailboats, you know, that's a no-brainer to me. Mm-hmm. But sleeping in a semi is fascinating. Actually, I haven't really thought about that one. You I have taken it. a shower at a truck stop once. Have you? I okay. Did. Yes. I, whenever I had early morning commutes and I would, I'd be driving down the highway and would pass like a rest stop and you'd see those semi trucks parked. I was always just like, they're just living the life. Yeah, I'm yeah. driving and they're have sleeping right now. Surely they pee in bottles all day though. Yeah. I, I think that's wonderful. the only part of their life that I was like jealous <laughs> of was at that point where I knew they were sleeping in the back of their truck. Oh, um, uh, where were we? Where yeah. Were so we I, I think that there's probably like some monotony that comes oh, yes. with sailing, okay. yeah. Yeah. but oh, also yeah. like, isn't each day a little bit different too? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there is a level of monotony, but less than you would, there's more monotony when you are crossing oceans than there is when you are navigating a river okay. or coastal sailing, um, or just day, day sailing, to be honest. It's, um, every day you have a job. Um, every day you feel like you have a purpose and that purpose is to get from A to B. That might be five miles, that might be 60 miles, that might be 100 miles. Um, but within those miles, there's a lot of things you have to figure out. You know, How long is it going to take you? What's the current doing? What's the wind doing? Um, where can you anchor when you get there? Um, if you can't anchor there, what's your backup plan? Um, if you need a spare part, um, is there a place to tie up in this town? Uh, am I, how far am I going to have to walk? How am I going to carry this part? What if it's really heavy? You know, What if we, we need diesel? And, um, there's no place to fuel up. So we need to go steal a, by steal, I mean, borrow a shopping cart from the dollar store and walk two miles to a fuel station with some jerry cans, um, to get diesel and then walk back and then put that in the deflating dinghy and then get that to your boat. So it's, it's a lot of all your normal stuff that's incredibly inconvenient mixed in with a lot of stuff that's out of your control. That may that be mother nature or the elements or whatever, whatever kind of water you're cruising in. Um, so there, there was a lot to do. Um, and also things break every day. It could be something really small, but the really small stuff sometimes feels like really big stuff when you live in a really small space, if that makes sense. So constant troubleshooting. I feel like every day is problem solving and in the moment it is incredibly frustrating, but in retrospect, after my miles under my belt now of of cruising one of the things i love about it most is the fact that it's constant problem solving i mean Mm -hmm. it is so much more difficult than your average day on land and you just you got to think all the time figure out how am i going to get this where are we going to get this where are we going to get this shipped in um i don't really know how to fix this who who can who do we think we can meet in this town or find that Mm -hmm. could know something about this um you know from plumbing to electricity i hate electricity it scares me it is scary i just i'm not there uh, diesel mechanic stuff sail handling i mean you name it the list goes on and on and um it's i mean it's fantastic you your learning curve is huge when you live on a boat really yeah. really big um but jumping forward to ocean crossing stuff uh yeah it's mundane Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, like when you're in the trade winds, you can set your sails and set up a self-steering system and, and you'll be just a passenger on a ship. It's like riding a carousel. Now, not all of the experiences like that, but in comparison to a lot of coastal stuff and intracoastal and rivers and I'm, I'm, I don't want to say it was easy. It was easy, um, in a diff, 
It was challenging in a different way. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't use the word easy. It was just challenging in a different way than than um, the river and coastal stuff was. Yeah. yeah. Different dynamics. Different dynamics. Yeah. And you have a lot of time to do nothing on mm-hmm. the ocean. There's really not that much time to do nothing when you're close to shore. There's always something. Did you find that like, so you went with your best friend or one yeah. of your best friends. Yeah. Um, and a cat and a dog. Oh, wow. So that's a different <laughs> dynamic too. Uh-huh. Okay. It was hairy. So like with that, because you had things to keep you busy, did you find that maybe that kept you more sane and you got oh, yes. along better? Yeah. I mean, you know, we had our times when we butt heads. There's mm-hmm. no two humans that could live on a 27 foot sailboat with a cat and a dog and not be at each other's throats sometimes, but never in, in a way where we wished each other wasn't there. It was, it was more of a matter of sometimes two people are, and this is also, um, marriage right here. Um, two people are adamant that they're right and you both want to be right. And it's really, really hard for someone to decide to trust the other person's intuition or the other person's facts. And so what we really had to learn over time was, um, just whoever had the stronger, you know, the stronger feeling about mm-hmm. which, what was right. Um, one of us had to step back and, you know, we had to do that all the time. Um, and being busy certainly helped eliminate that. The boredom, the heat, actually, when we were in the Bahamas, for example, um, with no air conditioning and lots of, lots of noceums and mosquitoes, um, we fought about the stupidest stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was just a matter, matter of like physical discomfort and like, yeah. <laughs> what are we doing today? <laughs> but nothing that actually mattered at mm-hmm. all, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's... So yeah, being, being busy helps. And when we jump into um, um, the next journey, the one I took with my husband, I'll express a little bit of the difference between our first crossing and the second crossing okay. in regards to mundaneness and relationship dynamics right. yeah <laughs> yeah what would be one thing because when i when i think about this trip that you took and speaking to the great loop um what are some of the aspects of it that people probably didn't account for or couldn't account for or couldn't imagine were like an annoyance so you met you mentioned like mm. um mosquitoes and mm-hmm. bugs and stuff mm-hmm. like that i think when we picture you going down the river we can all kind of see that in our head yeah but then there's these other things that we would be like oh yeah. i never considered that mm-hmm. is there anything um the first thing that jumps to my mind without going into detail is plumbing plumbing mm-hmm. was always an issue <laughs> i'm just gonna stop there yeah I can. Uh, <laughs> um electricity uh, we had a lot of electrical problems and so, like, it, so just everything had to be battery powered. And, yeah. Okay. So, so just, you know, when it's dark out, you go to bed or okay. you put on a headlamp. Simple as that. You're camping, mm-hmm. um, power. And I, and I guess that kind of falls under the electricity thing. Um, you know, we didn't have a generator. We were, um, charging things purely off of our diesel engine, which was fine. You know, it was, it was just simple and basic, but you know, your average device was not easily charged. And at the time, um, you know, I didn't have an iPhone then I still had a flip phone. I was like on an iPhone rebellion when they went out. I was okay. like, no, no, I'm not getting one. Wouldn't that oh, really I held out handy? so long. Yeah. It would have. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, I wasn't ready to go there. Yeah. Um, and definitely just the elements in general, whether it was too hot or too cold. We didn't have a heater and we didn't have, obviously, air conditioning. So whatever the weather was over to those two years is what we lived in. And, you know, there was a majority of the time where that was fine. Um, but there was absolutely like we had frosty mornings 
Um, and we had incredibly hot nights where, you know, everything was getting through our little screens and Mm -hmm. you just feel like you're in an oven and you're wondering why the hell you're there. And, um, yeah, no fridge. So just like your basic, your basic amenities when it comes to, you know, like when we came home and you could just flip a light switch and flush a toilet and put something in the fridge and all the really basic stuff that I've had my whole life. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up in a lovely, lovely community of East Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, with everything a kid could ever want, you mm-hmm. know, I was a really fortunate kid and I had never had any of these basic conveniences, um, stripped from me. And the best part about it was that I chose, I chose it, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't forced into that situation. I decided this is going to be interesting and mm-hmm. let's go. And it's changed. I mean, my entire future, how I think about all of those things and every boat after that, or every boat that we will choose to live on after that. Um, what do you need? What do you, what do you not need? And it's incredible how little you can live with. And now I come home to a big studio lofted apartment, um, Mm -hmm. which some might consider small for two humans. Um, I feel like it's enormous, Mm -hmm. even though it's a studio apartment. Um, and I'm constantly looking around, like I got to get rid of stuff. This is what is, what is all this stuff? What is it? And we don't, we barely have anything, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like nothing. Yeah. We have no place to store anything. So like I'm, you know, I'm the inventory queen, but, um, yeah. So I, I totally just went on a tangent from your question. Um, cause I guess the answer is, is kind of long, but, uh, just in general, your basic, basic amenities that don't exist on mm-hmm. the boat. So is camp, we were camping for two years. Let me put it that way. Right. Yeah. And, and there's people like myself included that I think romanticize, adventures like that and they think if you were to just ask them like for a quick answer hey would you do this i think a a lot of people would say yes yes and then as you start to give details like this (laughs) i think the list of people that would do it gets shorter and shorter yeah and so then we're left to just have this like uh kind of amazement and respect for people that are like yep we're gonna do it because you didn't just do the loop you decided i'm also gonna cross the ocean yeah so there's like you know not many people would do that and so that's what makes your story um pretty yeah. unique. Do you want to like get into how you decided to sure. sail across the ocean? Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. The Great Loop ended. We completed that. We sailed back into Northport, Michigan in 2014. I was 25 years old. And it was a year and a half later that I was working at the Annapolis Boat Show um, with a magazine called Latitudes and Attitudes. They're a mom and pop shop They've become our family. We love them so much. And um, I write, I've been writing the article, the lead article for them for five years now. Hmm. Um, and they just, they've always taken care of Katie and I and taken us under their wing. And they've inter- introduced us to a lot of people in the marine industry. Um, and that's how I ultimately met my now husband. His name is Luke Yates. He's from England. And he was also at the Annapolis Boat Show working for a sailmaker that was based in the UK called Hyde Sails. And um, we fell pretty quickly. And within that first year, um, we were just back and forth between Michigan and England and engaged within okay. year one. Um, it all happened very fast. <laughs> and uh, we both knew that we had a future on a sailboat in some way. Uh, what that looked like, we weren't sure, but we both, I mean, we connected over sailing and he's legendary sailor, way more of a sailor than I am. Like this kid smokes sailboats, you know, this is his his whole life. Whereas I didn't get into it till later. 
as an adult. Can you just give like, what was his childhood like then? Because you're like, by all accounts, most accounts, Sure, some people would call me a sailor. And in comparison to my husband and and actually his network of people, I I would never call myself a sailor, which seems weird. But still to this day, I'm like, ah, yeah, I spend a lot of time on sailboats. I dabble, yeah. (laughs) I dabble. Um, So London kid originally um, moved to New Zealand when he was like 10, 11, 12 with his father and his sister. And sailing was part of the education down there, part of the curriculum. And um, he was one of those kids that got on a sailboat and knew right then that that was what he wanted to do for the Mm -hmm. rest of his life. He's been in the marine industry ever since and um, got really into racing, smaller boats, dinghies, um, catamarans, Hobies, F-18s. And yeah, worked for all sorts of different sailing industries. And at 21-ish set a world speed record for sailing a Hobie cat around Great Britain. Jeez. Which is batshit crazy. Yeah. If you, um, you know, know anything about that coastline. <laughs> it's a pretty, it's a pretty, pretty gnarly coastline. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's he's crazy. He He lives on the edge at all times. And people would probably say to me that I need to live on the edge at all times, that I'm the adventurer, but... Um, no, I am like the conservative one in comparison of us two. Um, so yeah, he, he's, he's a little crazy. He's up for whatever. Um, and not scared to die at all. Um, which, which is, I admire sometimes and others hate him for it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hate is a strong word. Any wife would know what I mean. Yeah. So he's literally like, Hey, if the ocean takes me, I'm cool with it. Yes. That's. Yeah, it's just frustrating, but romantic. Truly, truly, that's how he feels. Yeah, if he doesn't die sailing, he'll be really upset. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So when you marry into that, you know, gotta have to raise the stakes a little bit. Yeah. And so we decided to sail from my house to his house. Okay. When we got engaged, which is Michigan to England, and um, we asked my dad if we could use his boat, and. He said, yeah. And we, and he's so still, we did. yeah, he's just enabling. Uh, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like if it weren't, he, he, there's a common theme in this whole podcast and it is because I have been enabled, you know, yeah. I have been given permission in a way to do this stuff. Um, and given a boat to borrow a ocean worthy sailing vessel to borrow. Um, so we spent a winter. We, all these decisions seem to happen pretty quickly. We decide in November, we spend the winter prepping the boat in Elk Rapids in a storage unit with no heaters. That was not fun. Um, Made several investments in, you know, how we were going to make this boat a lake cruising boat Mm -hmm. to an ocean going boat. And we left in April of that year. Wow. And so Luke was pulling off some, um, you know, some work over here in Michigan. He still had his job at the time. I was starting to arrange my whole year to pull this off because I do weddings in the summertime or photography in the summertime. Um, and my winters have been literally up for up for interpretation mm-hmm. almost every year since completing, completing the Great Loop. Yeah. Um, so I had some time to work on the boat. He was able to do a little work from Michigan and help prep the boat. And in um, April of 2017, it snowed the day before we left. I'm sure it did, yeah. (laughs) 
we, uh, I left Northport, left Northport on my dad's boat and, um, head out the Great Lakes towards the St. Lawrence Seaway, um, through Montreal, Quebec City, up to Newfoundland. And then our first crossing was Newfoundland to England. Wow. Yeah. Do you have to worry about, um, yes. like, what are they? <laughs> yeah, <it's> a, <laughs> of course. Like, what does it um, look like to cross the borders and stuff? I know that the the border between, like, the U.S. and Canada is pretty fluid and not really yeah, like it was pretty easy actually especially between us and canada um like when we crossed like erie for example um to go through the welland canal which is canadian and the welland canal connects erie and ontario with i believe 12 different locks i might be wrong on that number um but you just have to call you basically pull into the marina and you call customs and, okay. and you're checked in it's not a problem and then we were in canada all the way up until we checked into england Wow. Oh, there was one French island. We had to check into France and back out. South, really? south of Newfoundland, there's this little place called Saint-Pierre. Okay. Saint-Pierre de Miquelon. Um, and it's French, but they wouldn't call themselves French. It's a very interesting place. For sure. Yeah. So wow. aside from that, um, no, you just, just call in. Yeah. And they'll come. Sometimes they come board your boat and just ask you a few questions and see what you have on board. Um, sometimes they don't come at all. It just mm -hmm. depends where you are. Nice. Yeah. Well, that, at least that part was kind of easy. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 So, we, we had some not so easy experiences on our way back, but we'll talk about that when we're talk about the way back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So at what point was it like when you first um, cast off? Yes. In Northport where your, your stomach nautical was. nautical terminology is isn't spot it? on. Just excellent. Yeah. Yes. I told you I did some research. Um, cast off. <laughs> but like, was that in Northport where your stomach and like your, your, told yourself like all right we're really doing this or was it at another point like further down where you were like oh, no that's now a it's good real question i usually have really two things happen and it never happens the day of departure first thing that happens is all the stress and anxiety comes in the preparation of the trope the trip and the boat because when you're out there and when no one else can help you like we discussed before you are the one that just did all that work to your boat so you're questioning the work you just did, mm -hmm. you know, did I seal that through hull good enough? Did I <laughs> we take out and put the engine back in three times? Like, did we put that engine in right? You mm -hmm. know, so there's so many things um, that you spend a ridiculous amount of hours doing that they all just start like flashing in front of your eyes, you know, kind of before you go like, oh, man, hope I did that right. Or if that if, do we have a spare of this? Mm -hmm. If, you know, if this one thing were to go wrong. Um, we, we better have a spare and where is it and is it accessible? So your mind starts going a little crazy. Um, but all of that happens before you leave. Okay. And then by the time, it, this is my, you know, everyone might get you, give you a different answer for this, but this was my personal experience, which surprised me quite a bit, quite a bit. Um, by departure day, I have felt really calm. Hmm. Yeah. Really, really like I, I did everything I could do up to this point to, leave on this boat right now and I still have this opportunity this opportunity and this opportunity to pick up parts to fix things to provision to whatever it may be um and then so the in route portion actually feels really relaxed and natural hmm. for me um and then retrospectively I think back and I think holy shit mm-hmm what did we just do? And that takes me months sometimes. Like mm -hmm. what we're talking about right now took me many, many months after we already did it to realize that I was the person that just did that. And I am currently 
haven't like processed that we have now crossed the ocean twice and have the boat back in Northport where we started Mm -hmm. like that. I'm, it's not even there yet. Haven't processed, (laughs) (laughs) which is really weird. So, so I have this weird, um, like high anxiety in boat prep mode, calmness in route, and then a retrospective, whoa, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I imagine like when you do something that big and, and people, depending on what type of life you're living and how you would define something big, I guess that's different, but it could be something as simple as like having a kid. I imagine parents look back and are like, I can't believe that's my little dude there or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, it's pretty cool for you to kind of explain that. And I get the sense that you're a bit of, I would call it like a gamer. So someone, when the occasion comes, you kind of just rise up to it, even if you, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Are still like, we're nervous about it at one point. Um, but just to like go do that and decide in a pretty short time is is pretty crazy and to have two people on the same like wavelength and be like, yep, this is what we're going to do when we're engaged. And And that was a huge part of how we pulled this off that we were, you know, we were both full in. Like when we made the decision, it wasn't me pushing it. It wasn't him pushing it. A lot of people think or kind of assumed like since he's the sailor that it was his idea and like, oh, I don't know. Jessie's kind of getting herself into something. She's it wasn't like that at all. It was it was a mutual decision and we both put in the same time and money to pull it off, mm-hmm. you know. Did um, anybody question you like to your face before you left? Like what are you what are you thinking? Mm-hmm. Or did you just catch wind of some no. of that? And why does it feel like everything I'm saying is like referring to sailing? <laughs> same wavelength, catch wind, I don't know. You're onto it now. Um I think more people questioned the first trip I took with Katie because okay. we had no experience. Yep. And by the second trip with Luke, I was leaving on a excellent boat with a very experienced fiance. So even though I didn't have the ocean sailing experience, um, I think people had confidence in me that I could handle whatever was going to happen and that I could gain that experience along the way that I didn't Mm -hmm. need it first, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so no, no. And even my, my mother, my, my sweet mom, who I can't say agreed with my first great loop experience. Um, by the time this one came along, you know, she, was she nervous? Sure. But she hit it. She kept it from me and she just decided to jump on board. Like she just asked, how can I help? Mm -hmm. What can I, what can I do? You know, she wanted to come help me do boat prep. She wanted to help us with some of our making some canvas. She joined me for 10 days, just her and I, because Luke actually couldn't join, start this trip until Montreal. So I took it to Montreal without him. And she joined me for 10 days, just her and I. And, um, and that was pretty big because, you know, we always kind of seek parental approval. Mm -hmm. I already had that from my dad. Granted, I wouldn't have gone if, if I didn't. Um, so with, with the double parental approval and permission Mm -hmm. in a way that was, uh, that was pretty special. Yeah. And she's probably playing like, that was her role to play. And that was like, she just, she accepted. And And now to this day, there's nothing I can say or do that throws her off or surprises her. I, I would think that sailing across the oceans about the 
most surprising thing apparently yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, you know. It sounds so normal to me now. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I, that is weird. <laughs> I can't, I'm that having like weird. a really hard time wrapping my head around it. I know. It just like large bodies of water yeah. <laughs> are just, Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to me and that people can traverse these large bodies of water. I, a, a question I have, I guess, is like, did you know for sure you were going to make it across or were you thinking about... <laughs> tipping over and dying uh, because that's um, all I would all I can think about right now is it kind of goes back to what we've just touched on with the anxiety in the boat prep and the anxiety before you leave when you're in it you just kind of deal with whatever comes your way like we've had a few you know questionable situations or situations that were scary and but you just adrenaline is the most incredible thing on the planet and mm-hmm. you just work and you just live and the will to survive is so incredible i'm talking like we had you know full-on near-death experience we didn't really you know we got really lucky um but aren't you kind of always near death though when you're in the middle of the ocean i don't know i think i've i've had like a my my opinion has turned backwards on me because now i feel like i'm near death when i'm close to land okay and out there feels safer. Um, but yeah, all of those things cross your mind mm-hmm. before you go. But you you stop thinking about that when you're out there because if that's what you thought about when you're out there, yeah. you would, you'd lose your mind, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, yeah you, you don't have much, at least on the first crossing, I didn't really have the space in my mind to think about anything outside of basic survival. Eat, sleep, sail. Mm-hmm. That was it. Like it was just so... Yeah, you're so basic in a way. I didn't have you know I didn't have that much time to feel introspective, to have any massive epiphanies. Like that's all retrospective for me. Mm-hmm. In the moment, it's just get through the day. Right. Eat, sleep, sail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That- with, with moments of um, magic, you know, and moments of um, just incredible whether it's wildlife or phosphorescence or you know all of that stuff is there and it exists and you will see it out there and you won't see it anywhere else in the world and it is incredible but it's it's short moments mixed in with um really just kind of basic basic survival mode yeah yeah so you're just so immersed in it i mean that's the task at hand yeah and so you don't necessarily have time to fear in the moment you're just always acting yeah that the fear comes sense. before you leave. Okay. And the you, you act in when you're en route, if that makes sense. Yeah. How about, um, you said your husband's name is Luke? Yes. How about like his, his mindset? Is it in uh-huh. terms of before casting off? Is yeah. he just Mr. Confidence because he's spent uh, so much time in the water? He or comes does he have off doubts? as Mr. Confident. If you were having this podcast with him right now, he would definitely come off as Mr. Confident. Yeah. And rightfully so. He has a lot of experience and he's a damn good sailor. Mm -hmm. Don't let him hear me say that. He really is. Um, Like, whoa, that guy's got a lot of information and I I trust him full wholeheartedly um, on any boat for the rest of my life. Um, But he does get nervous. Yes. And we get nervous in very different ways. And we've learned this now, but we didn't really know this in the beginning. The first first crossing was, uh, you know, expedited hash out of let's get to know each other's shittiest selves real quick in, in mm-hmm. high stress situations. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I know how to explain his stress 
but he he does he does get stressed out he just doesn't admit it Mm -hmm. he won't say it and i don't say it either i go really quiet when i'm stressed out i move slower i talk slower i think slower it's like that's how i get through it and um my way of showing of not showing stress stresses him out because he thinks that i'm not stressed out he thinks that i'm not taking into consideration what we're doing or how big this is, you know, yeah. or what could go wrong when I am, but I have to compensate it for it to get through it personally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this in the beginning caused quite a lot of conflict because he thinks I'm just like, do, do, do. I'm the confident one. He thinks I'm the confident one. Yeah. You know, he thinks I'm all nonchalant and like, yeah, this is fine. We got this, da, 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 which was complete crap. You know, I was terrified, but that was just how I had to present myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, he got, I feel like, pretty stressed out in the beginning. In the beginning, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I don't even know. I, I don't. I can't even explain his stressed out yet. I'm gonna have to think about that one. Well, it's what he does. It's just funny yeah. because you, you guys did this trip when you. I mean, you didn't really know each other that long. No, we're not we talking like you were together 10, 15 no. years and then took no, this trip. No, it was one year, one and a half years of international back and forths, and then on a boat. That's so. That's so funny because. Yeah especially international so you're not seeing each other every day no so like like, every two months yeah when you see each other you're like presenting your best self every time most people honeymoon phase yeah yeah like everything's (laughs) great like they're this perfect person and normally it takes a while for people to start to show glimpses of their flaws but when you're on a 37 foot boat your flaws i feel like are probably noticeable the next day Oh, for sure. I think I was I was harder on him actually than he was on me because I was used to sailing with my best friend. Like best friends and adult women argue, quote unquote, or, you know, bicker in different ways than men and women do in relationships. So like with Katie, for example, like she got like grumpy or mad at me. Like I didn't care. You know, it didn't, it didn't bother me emotionally. Mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, that's fine. You know, I'll just, we'll talk about that later. <clears throat> or let's just, you know, we'll be quiet for the day. And that wasn't a problem. But with the person you're in love with and the person that you're about to marry, everything was like hypersensitized. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I can't believe he just said that this way. Or I can't believe he expected this of me to know this. Or why, why did he question me on that? So it was completely different emotional challenge in that way. So yeah, we learned a lot real quick. But we both had lived on boats before. I mean, when I met him, he was living on a boat, um, a boat that he couldn't stand up in, a tiny little boat, just him. Ugh. So we were both very comfortable um, in our own skin, you know, with our bodies, if that makes sense, and um, being in small spaces, sharing small spaces. So that actually wasn't difficult at all. Mm-hmm. That that was easy for us. That felt normal for us. We loved that. You know, I, I never once in all of our sailing wished that he was farther away, you know? Mm. Um, and so it was more of the, just the, the personality traits and characteristics that weren't brought out until that trip that, trip, yeah. that we had to understand and just work with, mm-hmm. work with. Yeah. So we did. Right. Yeah. You had no choice. <laughs> we did. Somebody we was got going married. Overboard. So, <laughs> right. Um, so like, what was the, most amount of time that you spent on the boat where you could like literally couldn't step off on land yeah 21 days really yeah yeah 
And that's just, was that on the way there or was the way back? So the way there is actually the shortest way, as far as I'm aware, the shortest way you can cross the North Atlantic Ocean. Newfoundland to England, it's roughly 2,000 miles. And it's pretty far north. It's almost all downwind, which is why you go that far north. Um, And it's like the shipping, like shipping lanes. Mm -hmm. So if ship was going to leave from New York City to... Um, London, or if you were going to hop on a flight from New York City to London, those flight paths go all the way up right next to Newfoundland. So they make a a big curve. It's called the Great Circle Route. Yep, exactly. Um, So we took what's called the Great Circle Circle Route um, over to England. And a lot of people don't go that way because there's 500 miles of Iceberg Alley and it's cold and it's not, there's typically more low pressure systems or pressure systems in general, which bring heavy wind and big seas. And, um, it's, it's a common passage, but a lesser common passage than the Southern route to go back to America, which would be the Canary islands Mm -hmm. or Cape Verde, which are Spanish islands over to the Caribbean. Okay. And that route is, um, what's called a trade wind route. So there's these massive circles of wind happening out in the oceans and, um, they spin one way for majority of the year. Mm -hmm. And so you ride them basically, and you'll have a tailwind for weeks and weeks on end. Um, so the way back is 3000 miles. So it was 21 days for us, which was pretty quick for us. I mean, we average about five and a half knots, which is the pace at which you would be sweating on a treadmill, you know? Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah, that was a long one. So they were, they were very different experiences. Yeah. The first one was cold and stressful, super basic survival mode, like no time. You know, we, we, we really had to take care of each other on that trip. Um, you know, after four, so for 17 days on the first crossing, someone always has to be sailing. So you, we do four hour watches. Okay. So I'm sailing for four hours, Luke's sleeping and then we switch. And so we're passing ships mm-hmm. for that whole time for the most part. Um, but yeah, after your four hour watch, you're cold and exhausted and hungry. And you know, so it's a quick swap and you kind of just, you're looking after each other quite a bit. Um, and the way back, the three week one, um, was slow felt Mm -hmm. really slow and it felt um it's hard to fill the time and that's where things got a little mundane and yeah i mean i'm talking slower just talking about (laughs) it like it, it was just really interesting and anyone who that made me realize i've always felt this way about people that want to sail and want to cross oceans. But that crossing in particular made me so confident that anyone who dreams to do this can do this. Mm -hmm. You know, it is such a a mental challenge as much as it is any other kind of challenge. And the mental challenge on that second ocean crossing was mundaneness. Yeah. Solitude. Anyway, even though you're there together, it still is solitude in a way. Oh, absolutely. A, a beautiful solitary confinement. I I don't know that I can picture a more, so, unless you're floating in space, like a more yeah. solitary place on earth yeah. than in the middle yeah. of the ocean. And sometimes that's incredible. And there are hours of that and sometimes days of that that are incredible. And I don't ever want to sound like I don't appreciate those days and that crossing and all of that. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's almost, it's hard to describe. I did write, um, a recent Instagram post about this recently that I would love to read that kind of sums it up, Yeah. but it does have the F word in it. So you might have to bleep that out towards the end. Yeah. Can you bleep that out? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Hold on. Let me find it. Okay. Um, yeah. So they were just two really, really completely different experiences, the mm-hmm. first and the second. And, and Luke and I were harder on each other on the second crossing because we had time to pick on each other. Right. You know, first trip, we're taking care of each other. Second trip, it was like, well, see you in eight hours, you know. Yeah. Why aren't you up after nine hours kind of thing? It's yep. really funny. I can imagine that. Okay. Um, I, I'm reading this because I came across it in my journal the other day and it actually made me laugh because it kind of makes me sound, um, ungrateful, but at the same time is really honest about how I was feeling on day 18 of 21 days. All right. Trying to work out why I've been so sensitive, hypersensitive. It's displeasing. I'm frustrated and at times ungrateful. It's gross. I've been gross. This journey is not physically or mentally challenging, but psychologically so. I've been needing Luke to be my best friend, my husband, my father, my mother, my caretaker, my cheerleader. Oh, and also my super sailor. All the things I have on land that create happiness I expect to receive from another tired sailor. This is impossible. I know this. Impossible. Actually, this is hysterical. The only conclusion I have to reach for this behavior is it's like pissing in your pants and having to sit in it for three weeks while you wait for it to dry. (laughs) The problem is, as soon as it's dry, you have to piss again, and the process starts all over. Sometimes it's my own piss. Sometimes it's Luke's piss. Sometimes it's the ocean's piss. The point is, there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to change into. There's no one else to rely on. You can't take a walk, can't call a girlfriend, can't consume myself with work, can't watch a movie, I can't aimlessly scroll the internet, I can't have a beer because we're out, I can't sleep well, I can't bathe well, can't eat well, I can't distract myself in any way aside from literature or music. I clean to keep me busy. And I write to organize my insanity, which I admit to being a great deal of help. All this being said, sitting alone with yourself day after day in your own piss hypersensitizes every emotion one could possibly experience. It's incredible how modern day distractor, modern day distractions hand us fly swatters and we can simply squash away our feelings with the click of a power button, play button, space bar, or some sort of other button that starts and stops anything to take our minds out into a different place. We can change the scenery on land whenever we please. Not out here. No buttons. Where is everybody? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. I like I like many par- parts of that. And it does give me a better idea of what that 21 days was like. Because you're right. There's like distractions do so much for us. Yeah. And in a way of like, we don't have to ever come to grips with some of the things that you had to in those 21 days just because we can just, yourself. yeah, just flip mm-hmm. open the phone, not even open, just turn on the phone mm-hmm. and do whatever, or go out with friends or whatever we might want to distract us at that time. Yeah. That's something that, yeah. wow, not many people have like, ever done. Yeah. But you know, what's so, so weird again is that my network of people at this point in my life is a lot of sailors. And I feel like there's so many people doing mm-hmm. what we're doing. You know, I don't feel like we're alone in this venture, especially it, between um, the UK and Europe. There's a lot of young people that are doing this. And in the in the US, I mean, it's becoming more and more of a trend and more feasible for people to work remotely and for to people wa- want to minimalize. They want to simplify. They're sick of all the stuff. They want to hop on the boat and they want to feel something real. You know, I think this is a big, big trend um, that's going on and that 
I'm immersed in. Um, mm-hmm. And because I also crave that. Um, so, t- so many people are beginning to experience these kinds of, you know, these kind of emotions and these, this kind of way of, of going through life that is not, you know, your corporate world or your nine to fiver. And it's not for everyone, uh, but it's certainly an option. You know, anyone, anyone can do this stuff. You just have to decide. And that sounds so simple coming out of my mouth, but you just have to decide and deciding isn't easy, but you just have to decide. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally with you. That's a part of a big part of what we do is that it's this idea of like choosing growth. So choosing this personal growth, because we are so comfortable and that's, that's just saying like in general and on average people in the U S we're just so comfortable. We, we have most things taken care of. There's not like real concerns in the way that people had real concerns a hundred or 200 years ago. It's very true. And so then some of us decide to like, well, let's take it back to basics. Like let's seek some discomfort so we can come to grips with some of this stuff that otherwise society almost wouldn't let us experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just, it's very easy for us all now to focus on really big things that are out of most of our control and not the smaller decisions you can make in your daily life to better your personal life, not the whole world's life, because I don't know, I guess I'm no Mother Teresa, but it seems impossible. Yeah, it's a big job. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you got to focus on who you want to spend your time with, mm-hmm. what you want to, you know, what you want to do more of, what you want to do less of, and um, my version of that is literally going into airplane mode for many, many months out of the year, and... I become quite a different person on the boat than I am mm-hmm. on land. And um, they really, they feed each other. Yeah. My my hustle season, my work season, I have a blast. And I do not sit still. I do not, I'm never alone. I'm constantly socializing. I'm constantly also behind my screen, whether it's my phone or my laptop. And um, it's literally just nonstop. And that feeds my strong, strong desire to disconnect. Mm -hmm. And then I do disconnect. And then I have a threshold of disconnect. And it's so nice in the beginning of that disconnect. Like, you know what? I'll respond to that text message tomorrow. I don't need to answer that call right now. Um, Maybe I won't respond at all. Mm -hmm. That's fine. The world will keep spinning. And I, I don't have that ability when I'm home. And when I'm in work mode, I'm like a must respond now. Like I cannot let stack up. I'm that kind of almost type A person when it comes to how I organize my work and social life. Um, and, but then the disconnect also has a place where I reach and I start to go a little crazy and I, I miss my family. I miss my friends. I miss, um, you know, walking down the road to, to my girlfriend's house or whatever it might be. And so I get hungry for the social stuff. I get hungry for the creativity. I get hungry to work. I get hungry to photograph and I come back and I'm like, whoa, enthusiasm in your face. And sometimes I'll walk into a social setting and I'm like, tone it down, Jesse, tone it down, Mm -hmm. just tone it down. (laughs) When I met you, (laughs) actually, Sailor, when I met you, I was kind of like that. I walked into Hallie's backyard and I was just like arms up, (laughs) you know, buzzing off the walls. Um, So yeah, that, 
that switch, uh, that handoff from disconnect and connect works for me. Um, and it, it's been many, many years of strategic decisions to set things up mm-hmm. that way. You know, I think a lot of people, um, how they see it on social media or, um, how they might hear it through a friend or something just seems like luck, Yeah, you know? Yep. Like, ah, just got it all figured out. It's just luck. Actually, I don't have it figured out. Um, but I've said no to a lot of things and I've said yes to a lot of things. Um, no, number one has been stability. Um, yes to me has been um, the freedom to make my own choice, which has led me to working for myself. Um, and flexibility is currency to me. Mm-hmm. Seriously, I would rather have flexibility than numbers in my bank account, 100%. Yeah. And I might change my mind when I'm 50 or 60 or 70 and, you know, trying to retire, which I will never retire based off of how yeah. I'm living my life. Um, but yeah, yeah. So it's just a matter of picking and choosing, um, you know, what you want to say yes to and what you want to say no to. And and many, many years later, I've kind of worked out this, this split life. So we'll see how sustainable it is. But yeah, it's so been, far. It's been pretty special. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I would definitely say it is yeah. special. Yeah. Um, I want to ask like a couple of questions about, again, just like the day-to-day challenges yeah. on the boat. Sure. So you'd mentioned like Iceberg Alley uh-huh. or something. That sounds terrifying. For real. It is exactly what it, it sounds. It gets dark out. How do you see icebergs? <laughs> well, if you ask Luke, he would say, well, you can't see them anyway, so just drink a beer and read a book. Okay. And if you ask me, I'm sitting there like looking through the Dodger, the plexiglass part of the Dodger, squinting my eyes, mm-hmm. so diligent, freaking out. Um, we didn't hit any icebergs. We did come close with a few. The first one we saw was in the middle of the night in the fog. Like, so... Like, Hollywood. It was yeah, so Hollywood. Like Titanic style. <laughs> oh, and it was one of the most terrifying and magnificent moments of my life. Like as soon as we passed it, I was like, oh my God. Well, I was, couldn't stop talking. It was incredible. What, I'm obsessed what is with it? icebergs now. How big was it? Probably the size of like the Holiday Inn. Are you serious? Okay. Yeah. I was picturing like the table. No. And it would no, put a no, dent no. in it's your just boat. like, yeah, hotel. Okay. What happens sure. if you hit it? Like what would that actually <laughs> do to your boat? We Crunch wouldn't be it? having this podcast right now. I don't mean to laugh. That's not something to laugh about, but you can't, you just can't like, you would have to, if you had a steel boat, you'd be okay. Okay. I mean, it might do some damage. It would like glance off it. Our boat was, uh, um, made in the early 60s when fiberglass was highly overbuilt and so it is very thick it probably could have hit a little something um and maybe been okay but if you were to hit an iceberg that big um it would be a matter of seconds of getting a life raft and make a make a call yeah wow so yeah um it was it was 500 miles of pretty diligent you know night shift watches and that means I could, I mean, I would barely get through a paragraph of a book without being nervous that my eyes weren't ahead, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And I would imagine like looking out into the dark, do you start to like create <laughs> <Lose it? laughs> Yeah. Like create these icebergs? <laughs> totally. Or... So the one, the first one we saw was like 2 a.m. It was foggy. There was this weird lightning fog going on. It was super eerie. There was actually lightning and fog and birds circling around our mast. And on my off watch, I was down below, why exhausted, but like couldn't sleep because I was nervous. And um, I told Luke that I thought I smelled ice, and he kind of laughed at me. Wow! And I was like, I can no, like it smells like when you go to the gas station, and you're yep. buying ice, and you open up that cooler and you stick your head in there to grab the one that's sitting at the bottom. That 
it smells like ice. Yeah. I'm with you <laughs> and 100%. And sure enough, we saw one that night, but I it was, this is close, this is Newfoundland in June when the days are really long. Okay. So 2.33 in the morning, we started to see a little bit of light on the horizon, which was about the time we had, we were switching shifts and we saw this first iceberg. And so I was staring at what I thought was actually just the sky starting to mm-hmm. lighten just a little bit. And sure enough, by the time I could actually make out what it was, it was uh, a hotel, hotel iceberg going down our port side. And it was maybe, you know, we weren't going to hit it. It wasn't like we had to turn for it. Mm -hmm. It was maybe a quarter mile, less than a quarter mile away, big enough to, um, to feel really small, you know, next to it. Um, So yeah, that was kind of our first, oh crap. Okay, here we are. We've reached the alley. So they all come down from the Labrador Sea in between um, Greenland and Baffin Bay. God, I might have my geography wrong. But yeah, they come down from the Labrador Sea and they are incredible and they're massive and they break up. They start huge and then they break up into smaller and Mm -hmm. smaller pieces and you can't really track them because they're constantly moving. They're constantly shifting, breaking etc. So all the Canadian iceberg report gives you is like a gridded map of how many icebergs have been reported within X amount of square miles every day. Mm-hmm. And there's not really like sailors up there, you know, there's not a bunch of people cruising around in boats reporting icebergs, right. but they're reported by um, commercial ships, fishing boats and planes. Um, so something that might be reported, you know, in the morning is going to be somewhere else in the evening. Mm -hmm. So most people sail that area with radar, which is wise. Um, We chose not to invest in radar and chose to just be really diligent with our eyeballs instead. Wow. We did. But yeah, there was, there was certainly a little, little stress there. Yeah. But man, they're beautiful. They're, oh, they're so beautiful. Yeah. I can, yeah, I would just love to have witnessed Uh going by that iceberg and looking up at it. Yeah, they're pretty pretty cool things. So that was one of those um, holy crap moments, but the moment it was done, r- raving about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then it's, we saw a bunch after that, but it was almost all during daytime. And I mean, on a sunny, clear day, you can see them for miles and miles and miles okay. away. They just, they're so bright, you know? Yeah, so yeah. the sun's like reflecting yeah. off them and stuff. Yeah. yeah. What, what about um, like animal life? So do you witness yeah. any of that on the way there? Or was that mostly on the way back or both? So definitely the coolest wildlife are puffins. Okay. You a big puffin fan? <laughs> I'm a yeah. huge puffin fan. <laughs> they're so cute and they like fly in pairs and they, they're pretty uncoordinated how they fly. They're not the most graceful of birds. Um, and they take a really long time to take off and they just like slap the surface of mm-hmm. the water for so long. And then, oh God, they just make me laugh. <laughs> um, lots of dolphins, a decent amount of whales, lots of minke whales. Okay. Um, How big do those get? Like pretty you know? big. I mean, we had some that were absolutely boat length long, which is 37 okay. feet. I thought, yeah. We did see, I don't know what kind because it was rather far away, but we saw one um, quite a ways away just jump through the surface and breach that was really beautiful um oh you know what this coolest thing we saw was um leaving the canary islands so spanish islands off the coast of western africa we're leaving for our ocean crossing and um, there's a lot of phosphorescence down there and are you familiar with phosphorescence kind of so you'll have to google that one too okay 
phosphorescence is a type of algae that glows in the dark and so it's ignited by movement yeah. so anything that swims through it passes through it a boat any motion stirs up and ignites Dude. this phosphorescence so at time you can't really photograph it picturing um, like which the movie why, avatar yeah like I how mean, like, they walk on the trees yes, and it lights yes, them up it's yeah. just like that yes it's totally avatar so there are some experiences where you're sailing at night through just like a glowing sea Dude. and that's pretty whoa you know that's yeah that's a whoa moment but there was this particular night and we ended up having two of them where it was i want to say millions of jellyfish i mean no way <laughs> my numbers could be off i mean but I watched they were Blue Planet. everywhere i mean for hours and hours and hours and hours on end we're sailing through glowing jellyfish and so yeah. you look down like you're you know you're flying over the the sea in the middle of the night and you look down and you just see layers and layers of glowing what they looked like pancakes we called them pancakes we're like ah mm -hmm. glowing pancakes and um that was i had never seen that before never heard of i've we've we had seen um sometimes when dolphins come in the middle of the night mm -hmm. they create these big streaks of phosphorescence so it looks like you're at some, you know, electric forest light yeah. show. Super cool. Uh, that's also incredible, but we had never seen the whole pancake jellyfish thing for so many hours. You're literally like in space. It's like Fantasia. It seems like you're explaining, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like alien life forms. And that's when just... I started to appreciate night shift. I hated the night uh -huh. shift in the beginning because I was just scared. You know, I was nervous. Yeah. And I wasn't a confident sailor. So any everything that had to be done in the night, I had to like talk myself through. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I started to appreciate them and almost like them more sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that seeing some sites like that where what, while you're like, there's some things that you just witness in life and, and you're like, the chances that I see this again yeah. are not very good. So I'm going to just like put this right in my, burn this in my yep. memory. Yeah. And as a, as a picture taker, as a documentary human, um, it is crazy to experience one of the most epic things in my life and only have a memory of it. I could be mm -hmm. completely lying to you for all yeah. you know. Maybe. <laughs> Just keep going, though, because it's a good podcast. <laughs> I have no proof. <laughs> right. But, yeah, that was uh, one of those one of those really, really incredible, uh, just mind-blowing. What is going? It took me probably an hour to figure out that they were jellyfish. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? Where am I? What yeah. is going on? Yeah, Luke. what was in my drink? What is this? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's crazy. How much time do you guys spend in the water, like you're, like swimming or bathing? Yeah, uh, totally depends. So the first um, crossing the North Atlantic, it was super cold. We mm -hmm. were dressed like we were going skiing for 17 days for the most part. Um, and in those 17 days, we took three saltwater bucket baths. Okay, in just water freezing. That was, yeah, there's 11 degrees C. Um, which is, uh, I don't know. It was like 50 or low fifties. Yeah. That's 50s. cold. Yeah. Um, so that was more out of desperation cleansing mm -hmm. mode, not for fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then on the way back on the ocean crossing part, it was like multiple times a day dousing yourself with buckets of seawater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we, but we didn't really spend a lot of time in the water until we got to the Caribbean. Cause it was yeah. just warm enough to yeah. finally. Yeah. It was actually like, that was our bath. We were in it all the time. That was the only way to cool down. Mm -hmm. and, and there was stuff to do, you know, lots mm -hmm. of snorkeling to be done and just swimming in general was, okay. as was a, was a pastime. 
So like, are you guys anchored while you're doing some of that stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we'll drop the hook and, um, you know, we'll, we'll try to only go into marinas when we need something, whether it's fuel, yeah. water or provisions, uh, they're not cheap. Like boating can be pretty expensive mm-hmm. if you, if you spend all your time in marinas, um, anchoring is free, which is fantastic, but, um, it's also can be inconvenient if you need anything. So you just have to kind of pick and choose when and where. And yeah, this is probably yeah. like an elementary question, but oh, no, not um, at all. when you drop anchor in order to stay in the same spot, does mm-hmm. it have to hit the bottom? Or? It does. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. I didn't know so, if it was. Um, um, people use or could use the anchor as a tactic to slow down if there was an emergency. Mm. Like if you were in really deep water, for example, yeah. um, and didn't have enough line to hit the bottom. So it, the only reason anyone would drop their anchor off the front for it to not hit the bottom would be to slow down the boat for some particular reason. Mm-hmm. And it would likely be, you know, a semi-emergency situation otherwise yes you drop it straight down and um, you pay out a bunch of line and then you you turn the engine on and you put it in reverse and you literally pull like at at an angle that anchor so it digs itself into the sand how deep is it it totally depends you can anchor i mean the shallower you anchor the better because so they there's a scope it's like a five to one scope or seven to one scope if it's um, really windy, for example. So if you anchor in 10 feet of water, you'd let out 50 feet of line. If you oh, anchor right. in 30 feet of water, you would anchor out whatever <laughs> 30 yeah. times seven is, 30 times five is. Um, and if it's really calm, if there's not gonna be any wind, you don't need that much what's called scope out. If okay. it's gonna blow 30 or 40 knots that night, what you need is a, a lesser angle um, from bottom to boat to dig the anchor in and it gives you lots of room to drift and to spin into circles and uh, you can dig your anchor in pretty pretty well that way. Okay. So it's all situational. Sense. But yeah, there's kind of like some some basic rules in a way to follow and mm-hmm. then you have to interpret those rules depending on the situation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I It would just freak me out. I'm sure I would eventually do it, but I've said before, I just have kind of a weird fear of water and like yeah, what's yeah. in the water. Yeah. Ooh, jellyfish. Yeah, I'm like jellyfish, so sharks. Jellyfish. Like, <laughs> did you see any sharks? Like, was that a fear uh, when you're swimming? Yes, but I mean, if you're not snorkeling, as you many saw as you'd think. Um, I know it's an I feel like shark fear, diving but. and like shark swimming with sharks is really, really in right now. Um, I say and in as if it's a fashion trend, but it like is. Your you know? circle, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I also follow like a lot of like shark divers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> if you went through my Instagram, I'd be like shark divers and weather chasers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very niche. So yeah, I feel like the whole world is swimming with sharks right now, mm-hmm. which is so funny. That's probably why I feel like the whole world is sailing right now. I yeah, I was going to tell you, it's still a pretty small population yeah. of people that, Everyone that are... Everyone sailing across yeah, oceans, right. Taylor. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sad, isn't it? Um, yeah, there there are sharks, definitely. Um, I've never seen anything big that I thought was going to eat me. Um, the Bahamas has a lot of nurse sharks, which are yeah harmless for the most part. They're mm. like big catfish. They just look really ugly and scary. Um, and I've seen a few smaller reef sharks, Um but I've never had any encounters that really, you know, made me lose it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm scared of them also. You know, like I don't want to say I just get in the water, no no problems and don't think about it. Mm-hmm. I do. I don't like swimming alone. I like when we are swimming together or I am swimming with people. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's how uh, It too. still crosses my mind. I still get a little squirmish, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it won't keep me from going, mm-hmm. you know. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, you definitely seem yeah. like you. I'm not as brave as I sound. Are aware of the fears, <laughs> but still just yeah. do things. Yeah. Um, what about, wasn't there some point where you, prior to Portugal, or you went to Portugal because you had issues with the boat? Yeah, we had what some happened? issues on our way to Portugal. Okay, you were trying to go there. Yes, okay. yes. We were doing a passage from... Um, the northwest corner of Spain to Portugal. And it's going to be a four-day passage. And we were, of course, on a little bit of a work timeline. Um, and the weather was okay. I mean, it was due to pick up to like 30 knots on this day. And we were going to need to make it around the last corner um, of Portugal to get to our port. And... Uh, where do I go from here? Um, we felt comfortable in what the forecast was. We had sailed enough times in what the forecast was. So we just thought, all right, we know, you know, what to do. Let's go. And last night on day four, I was actually very seasick on this trip. I finally felt better. I woke up on day four feeling like, a champion, just done with the seasickness, ready to rock. I had energy. I had a personality again. Mm -hmm. I was eating again. And that night, um, it got pretty wicked out. And by wicked, I, you know, can't explain it too much because it was pitch black. It was 2 a.m. It was building throughout the day. Uh, and we were fine. You know, we were good. We had down to, um, so as the wind gets stronger, you start to take down the sails so mm -hmm. the less canvas the more wind the less canvas you have up right and we were going downwind with 40 to 45 knots which was more than we had normally sailed in and it picked up to 50 knots which was definitely the most we had ever sailed in and we were almost running downwind bare pole which means no sail at all we had a Jeez. fraction of our main sail up and um, the self-steering system was still working, but we were both sitting at the helm um, taking turns, just kind of assisting the self-steering because we were at this particular kind of grade in the ocean where the seafloor goes from like 15,000 feet to, you know, 500 feet. Mm -hmm. So in those areas, you get stacking waves. Um, the wind excels around headland. And we had um, one wave break on us from a different direction than the wave pattern that was consistent for four days. And it hit us a beam, the boat. Um, our, it hit us on our back. So, again, don't know how big it was. I have no idea, but it was big enough to knock the boat over. Um, chucked the mast in the water and chucked me in the water and submersed Luke in the cockpit in the water what yeah yes and um there's two like hatch boards that go in the companion way where you, how you get in and out of the boat and um shame on us we only had one of those hatch boards in which ultimately dumped a ton of water into mm. the boat and filled up the bilge and um our our dodger um which is like a big piece it's like a big windshield almost okay. but it's, it's canvas and plexiglass it's not it's not hard um it's on a steel frame that ripped off our ladder to the inside ripped off we lost a propane tank and um bent the stanchions so it was it was a very quick and violent wave break 
that we couldn't have predicted if we tried unless it was bright and sunny, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, we were both life jackets on, tethers connected to the boat. I had tethered myself in maybe 20 to 30 minutes before this wave broke. Mm-hmm. And that tether ultimately saved my life 100%. What would have happened if you hadn't been, you just been swept away from the... So, yeah, boat? when you're going that fast downwind in, in sizable waves in a boat like that, the chances of anyone being, well, I say anyone, the chances of that boat being able to come back and get you are very slim. Mm-hmm. You, We couldn't have turned around and gone into those waves with that boat if we tried. So, like, you fly off the boat would have continued to go yeah, straight yeah. and you would have been left on behind. The boat carries on downwind and you're, you're, you're left behind. Okay. So your best chance in that situation is, you know, your radio works and you call into other ships and you, you call a mayday, you Try call a man to. overboard and someone else comes pick you up. Someone, wow. you know, whether it's a, a rescue boat or, or something. But I don't believe that Desiree, the name of our boat, would have been able to turn around in those seas to, yeah. to collect me. And even if I had been in reaching distance to the boat at that time how you know how one gets back on board is much more difficult than than you would think Mm -hmm. um so that tether saved my life which is fantastic um it was yeah all i it's it's crazy actually all i really remember is i i felt great like we're sailing along and i felt alive and i felt um scared but in a in a in an alive kind of way like i almost don't know how to explain it um the boat felt, even though we were running downwind with just a slice of mainsail, um, we felt in control. We felt that the mm-hmm. boat was in control. Um, we had about 10 miles to go until we were going to get around um, into the lee of the headland where it was going to be much calmer. And uh, there wasn't much else we could have done emergency-wise to prevent something from that like happening. happening. Um there are several emergency procedures you can take when you're in big seas. One of them we could have taken, and that may have helped us. Um, but you never, you don't know. You don't really know. Um, anyways, it was very fast, and I'm saying fast like 15 to 20 seconds fast. Mm-hmm. I wasn't stuck underwater. I wasn't being drugged behind the boat. I went in. The boat um, went maybe 120 degrees into the sea, so it didn't completely flip over. It didn't. It wouldn't qualify as a capsize. It would, they call it a knockdown, basically. Okay. And there's so much weight in the keel of those boats that they they right themselves. Mm-hmm. So within 15 to 20 seconds, the boat's back up. Um, and I pretty much just got dragged back onto the boat because my tether was only about six feet long. Oh, okay. So like my lower half was in the sea, but then my upper half was like hanging onto the, the railing, the side. So, you know, adrenaline, hell yeah, adrenaline. Yeah. I just got right back on board. Like pulled and, yourself up. Yeah. After confirming that we were both uninjured, which was slightly miraculous at the, at the velocity we were chucked. Mm-hmm. We also switched spots somehow. Luke went up and over the helm and I somehow went under him and we, sw- I don't know, it's crazy. Was he tethered um, in too? He was also. Okay. Yes. Yes. There you go, kids. Be tethered. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that was a big one, you know. Um, but once we confirmed that neither of us were injured and we still had a rig, we still had sails, like the boat, some some stuff broke and some stuff ripped off. And, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we lost our um, our rudder, our, our steering. We lost how you steer the boat with yeah. the rudder broke um, from the force that. of the wave. But 
with this wind vane, which is literally a self-steering wind vane. It has its own rudder. It's about the fraction of the size of the boat's rudder, um, but it has its own rudder, and that was okay. So for the next like eight hours, we had to sit on the very back of the boat, the transom, which is like the wettest place where all the mm-hmm. waves are breaking over, and hand steer this emergency steering vane that felt like you're driving it feels like you're driving a dinghy you know you're like holding this little handle um and steering a massive heavy boat um so it you know soaking and freezing we took 20 20 minute shifts steering hand steering the boat for eight hours wow and made it around that corner um and once we made it around the corner it was most beautiful sunrise I'd ever mm-hmm. seen. Perfect waters. Here's the, you know, Algarve of Portugal coast. And, you know, it was one of those things that kind of circles back to what we discussed in the beginning. Like in the moment, you just act, you just do, you know, you just, you get work done. And um, it's amazing what your mind and body are capable of withholding in those times of, um, you know, in those times of stress. Um, so it wasn't until we got to the coast, dropped anchor in the morning, beautiful sunny day that I finally kind of lost it and cried, drank a bottle of wine and went to bed. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a good response. Yeah. It probably felt like your first sunrise or something yeah. like seeing that. Yeah. It's pretty wild. That's crazy. And then also I didn't really realize the gravity at which like the force at which we had been knocked over until I saw the interior of the boat the next day Mm -hmm. and where things were or were not. Okay. Like it would have been a very dangerous place for anyone to be inside the boat at Mm -hmm. that moment. Just stuff would have been flying around. You know, cans of epoxy breaking loose from cupboards, um, cans of steak pie getting chucked across and bending in half. Like, just crazy stuff happened. We found stuff in the weirdest places for months after that. Yeah, like a tornado went off in there or something. So we learned, I mean, that was so many lessons learned for us, particularly when you think you have things stowed well, you probably don't. And everything you stow, you have to consider going upside down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're, yeah, you're packing stuff away, but you're not just Mm -hmm. packing it as though you would in like an RV. And one thing we already knew, but we're reminded of and still actually need to be reminded of sometime today is just because the forecast is a forecast. It's only a forecast. And you know, that 30 knots would have been fine. That 50 knots was not. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a huge, it's a huge game changer sometimes when, um, you know, you go from 30 to 35 to 40. I mean, just a little bit sometimes um, can change wave patterns and stack waves and it's it's the waves that can be in our experience um the deadly ones not necessarily the wind but the waves come from the wind so yeah yeah they all go hand in hand and yeah yeah we just have to you know take a forecast with a grain of salt and regardless of forecast you can't be scared to not go you just have to be careful when you do go and know that when you do go that can change at any time Mm mm-hmm Well, don't you think you guys are both better sailors because that happened? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what's that saying? Like, Absolutely. Calm seas don't make good sailors or something. And it was just like the iceberg situation where the moment it was done, it was one of the greatest moments of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go around raving about this or talking in the bar about this um, because (laughs) I'm pretty lucky to be here. Yeah. But uh, it really was a... It was massive awakening and, and learning curve 
moving forward. And it didn't make me not want to sail again. It just made me like, okay, I know we know how to better, better prepare for this kind of situation next time. Mm -hmm. And it would be unrealistic in a way to assume that there isn't a next time. You know, if, if you're going to spend your life sailing the ocean, there is so much unpredictability in it. And, uh, the more stuff that happens, the more, the more you can better prepare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that's what at least scares me the most about experiences like that is that you can square away absolutely everything on your end. Like you could have done everything perfectly, but then there's still these other things we can't yeah. account for. So whether that's driving a car, yeah, you could be a perfect driver, but mm-hmm. the person coming at you might not be. Yep. You know, it's the same thing with, with sailing. It's like still you're at the mercy of those stacking waves or mother yes. nature. Yes. And, and for any, for any of the <clears throat> sailors who are listening, you know, or people that are familiar with kind of the procedures taken in these, in these kind of situations, Luke and I have spent so much time thinking through this, writing down every technical detail of that whole day, you know, a 24 hour account, um, just so we can really think through it and, and talk about what, what could we have done? How could we have avoided that? And, uh, our number one way of avoiding that would have been to never left, leave the dock, you know, mm-hmm. literally just never left. Um, the second one would be, uh, in what's called hove two, which is a way you situate your sails and in, in heavy winds and big seas that puts you at a, at a slows you down, puts you at a better angle to handle that stuff on board. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, sometimes forecasts are wrong Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know what to say yeah and and crazy things happen to i this is gonna sound silly to you uh, still but like i don't consider myself an experienced sailor in comparison to my network of people you know um and we know and had have heard of incredibly experienced sailors who have circumnavigated once if not twice or three times and you know have had boats sunk or have had been in an emergency life raft or you know it's it's part of the part of the life and part of the sport um so you just have to kind of pre accept that i think mm-hmm. yeah well that's it's clear like why that is so appealing to the group of people that you surround yourself with because there is yeah there's only so much i mean at some point you're just like you know what i gotta just give it up and like Mm -hmm. i can do what i can do but there's gonna always be these factors and i think that that plays into why it's so appealing probably yeah yeah it is there's a sense of freedom that comes with that absolutely yeah you're just gliding across the ocean you can over pancake jellyfish yeah man this is crazy um so what did it look like um I mean, you said it took you 21 days to get back. Mm-hmm. Could you just like paint a picture of what it was like at the end of that journey? Now, how you were feeling or what was like the first thing that you wanted to do? You know, it's funny. What I remember most is the customs office. And this actually is like not that positive of a story. But I was so happy to see people. Mm-hmm. I was so happy to stand on ground. I, like I just was beaming ear to ear. You know, I didn't want, I didn't want a hug or a pat on the back or like a congratulations. I just wanted to like talk, talk to anyone, anyone, have a beer, just cheers and like find out what everyone else was up to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was, I was like a little kid and we walked into the customs office in Antigua 
and they were so rude. <laughs> it's like, welcome back to the world. They were so rude. And we showed up at the end of the day. I think they were trying to close the office at like 5 p.m. And we rocked up at 540 or 4.45, you know, beaming. So stoked to be there. And they could have cared less yep. about where we just came from or what it took for us to get there. Mm -hmm. And so my first memory is just how stoked I was for human interaction. Like I wanted to like high five these people like, woo, you know, yep. when are you off work? Let's go get a beer. Yeah. I'm so stoked. And uh, nope, they were complete dicks. <laughs> that, and that's I was the, like, that's life. Yeah. My heart just fell out of my butt. Is there more <laughs> like a more accurate like representation of what people are like though? Uh, <laughs> you know? No, I mean, that's just kind of how it goes, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody wants to be goes. done with work at five. Yep. That's yes. pretty much how it is. So we caught them at the wrong time, and uh, yeah, it was pretty funny, actually. But it was it was so cool to have made it. And um, Antigua's a really cool spot, actually. There's people from all over the world that sail there. It's a pretty big port, mm. uh, international port, where people, big for anything from tiny sailboats with four kids on board to massive super yachts with, you know, one rich couple on board. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's everything. Um, and so we spent several days there just, you know, enjoying the streets and the people mm -hmm. and eating a lot and drinking a lot. Yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah. That sounds it was really wonderful. Dreamy after so much time at sea. And I was so excited to do laundry, like laundry and clean the boat were like crack cocaine for mm -hmm. me. I was just like, Oh my God, I want to spend a whole, I spent my whole, we arrived a day before my 30th birthday which was pretty special. Yeah. And I spent my whole 30th birthday cleaning the boat and so happy about it. Yeah, I can... Weird, I mean, huh? Yeah, it's just like I it just was just laundry. a sense of normalcy yep. and, again. And like bucket laundry in the cockpit, like buckets full of fresh water, but it was fresh water. And yeah. the ability to fill a bucket with fresh water was incredibly satisfying. Oh, that's awesome. And all the sheets and all the towels and mm -hmm. everything, you know, you can't wash that stuff really unless it pours down rain because mm -hmm. um, we don't have water supply for that. So yeah, it's simple things, man. Yeah. I, I think that that was a good way to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for like painting thank what is a very you. detailed and unique picture yeah, of I your experience. Yeah, I hope I painted it okay. Hope no, I know. think you definitely did. It's a combination of, of uh, positive and negative, you know, but overall, overall incredibly positive. I mean, I could go on and on, but yeah, pretty, pretty fortunate to have gotten that boat all the way back to michigan mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's no that's cool. i mean you're truly one of the more unique um guests i've had on and certainly Thank in you. terms of the experience that you've had so i appreciate you Anyone taking the time can do it yeah you can do it even though you have a fear of the water yep first step is to come up to northport with your wife and just sleep on a boat for the first okay. time mm -hmm. see what it's like yeah can the boat be on land or does it have to be in the, <laughs> in the water it will be anchored for you okay yeah. And anchors have to be in the ground. They so have I to feel be in better. the ground. Okay. So you would be connected to the earth. Wow. That, that's where I like to be. Yeah. So we're good. Yeah. 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 No, we'll definitely do that. Um, where can people find out? I'll, I'll link to some of your stuff in the show notes, but is there any place you sure. want people to go to find out more about you? Well, I have a very outdated blog. Um, I don't, I haven't, I haven't put anything on there in quite a while. That's on a boat.net. Um, I hope to pick it up again one day, but honestly, my Instagram is probably my most updated account of all my sailing and that's at Jesse Brave. What, why, Jessie why are tries you Jesse Brave? Brave? Yeah. Uh, is that my, one of my, my best friend, Katie and my other best friend, Olivia, nicknamed me Brave when I was 15 and it had to do with losing my virginity. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you were brave. <laughs> and they also just, I don't know. They just thought that I could, was good at stuff. Like I did weird things as a teenager. Like my sport was ice skating and I thrived in the art room and it just, I don't know. It wasn't like soccer and yep. I don't know. It's just a little different stuff. And so I don't know. My friends were cute and they just started calling me brave. And it stuck and, and it manifested. And my friend Katie was the one who made my Instagram account. And she made it, Jesse Brave. And that was when I was first got an iPhone when I was 24. Yeah, you did hold out for I a did. while. I did. I held out. Yeah, well done. I knew that I would live on it once I got it. And I was right. I live on it. Yep. But yep. you also sail and are not on it. Yes. For quite a large portion I do, of I do time. shut that thing down yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Well, very cool. Cool. Well, Thank you, Taylor. Thanks for having me. This is very course. nice. Yeah, this was an excellent conversation. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And like I said, um, go check out. Oh, we have one more thing. We go have ahead. one more announcement. Um, we are doing a presentation on all of this actually at the Leland Art Building on October 17. Oh, sweet. So if you're interested in a more visual um visual understanding of everything we did we're just going to share a bunch of photos and kind of run you through run you through the story in the same way but it will be with my husband and i so the dynamics mm. will be a bit more comedic i'm sure and there'll be wine and beer and uh yeah you can come pick our brains on Sweet. absolutely anything is We'd there love to have you like a link to that at all eventually okay i'll have to I'll email make sure that to share you. it yeah good deal thanks so yeah check out what she has going on and as always we appreciate you guys listening have a good rest of the week bye now Bye-bye.